Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to come into your presence. We pray that we might hear from you this morning, meet with you. We invite you to be part of what we're doing. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Please take a seat. Well, what a delight it is to be here. Uh, I speak quite quickly. I'm an Englishman. Got a bad accent. Can you understand me? That's a stupid question, isn't it? Can you understand me? If you didn't understand me, you wouldn't understand the question. Stuff we say in church, like, can you hear me at the back? Is that a stupid question as well? <laughs> and stuff we say in church, isn't it? Let's all stand together. How close together should we stand? That's one of my favorite. They use it in the music business too. Just put your hands together for this person. <laughs> well, my name's Andy Piercy. I've already been introduced. It's an absolute delight to be here. Uh, I'm in Costa Mesa because um, the last two days I've had a teaching event with a, a chap called Dr. Ashley Null, who's probably one of the world's authorities on Thomas Cranmer and English Reformation. In case you don't know, Thomas Cranmer was the first, uh, well, he wasn't the first Archbishop of Canterbury, but in the Church of England he was, which was then the church in England, and uh, under Henry VIII. So it's a very formative time, and basically the books of the prayers you use, the, the structure you use, was what was instigated by him. He was quite a radical dude. Well, probably wasn't the expression they used in those days in, in the 16th century. Uh, but the topic this morning I was given, uh, invited, as I say, it, was, it is a, a privilege being here, the stewardship of a life. But before we do that, uh, your Bishop Todd has been with me uh, the last couple of days. He's ho helped host the event. We held it over in St. James's Church. Uh, some of you know where that is. But I was teaching a song, one of the things I was speaking about is how you integrate some of the old and the new. And uh, I think you probably don't use it in your service, but part of Thomas Cranmer's service when he put the Book of Common Prayer together were things called the comfortable words. It's not comfortable because you sit back and relax when you listen to them. They're words of comfort to us. And in Cranmer's uh, liturgy, which is unbelievably bold where he put them in, uh, in the middle of his liturgy, was just before the communion. I don't know if you know that we, we heard some of this teaching this week because, or I need to set a timer because I haven't got a watch. We could be here for the rest of the day. <laughs> it could be dangerous. Uh, it's interesting. You have to understand for Cranmer, he was taking the England from medieval high church, you got to earn your salvation thinking, into this radical formation of the Book of Common Prayer. We've, we don't really realize the full concept always of what he did. But in the middle of this, turning this, this, this whole belief system from you urge your salvation, <laughs> and if you didn't get the hang of it, guilt, fear, shame made sure you got it drilled into your head. That was the principle of all that, which is why you need to have stuff like purgatory and limbo, so you could work it out if you messed it up and you didn't get ready in time. Um, they had all sorts of schemes. Cranmer turned that on his head, and in the middle of this, of his, his communion service, this is not my talk, so I've got to get this through pretty quickly. In the middle of his communion service, he put these four come to a words, uh, one of which it starts with, it, it's so transformative to the thinking, starts with, come to me all you are weary and heavy laden, actually all who travail and heavy laden, that's quite a nice, because it has sort of a, um, a sense of like, you can't get the hang of it, you know, you're just worn out. But I use the word weary in the song. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. As, as um, um, Dr. Null points out, it's amazing there's no mention of sin. <laughs> there's no mention of, uh, actually, not, God's not mentioned, but it's God speaking into our situation. Isn't that where we are? We struggle, we're, you know, we're weary, heavy laden. Second word is this, um, God so loved the world, 
He gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Still no mention of sin. To a, a, a country indoctrinated with medieval guilt, fear, shame thinking, this is radical. And then he goes on to the third and fourth words. So we're going to sing it. I'm going to teach it to you. I was asked if I could teach it to you. So I, I don't know if I get an extra three minutes on my talk to allow me to do this, but we'll see what happens. You can, and when it gets enough, just wave your sheet and say it's time to move on, okay? It goes like this. Mm, I try and pitch. I haven't got a very good pitch, but we we'll see. Can we put the words on the screen for the first verse? Thanks, my bro. I'll show it to you. You can sing it with me. Hear the words of Christ our Savior. Come to me, come to me. All you weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Straightforward, together. Hear the words of Christ our Savior. Come to me, come to me. All you weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Oh, feels nice. I think we could stop there. No, let's do the rest of it. <clears throat> Second verse goes like this. That's the first word. Second word is like this. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Together. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life shall have everlasting life. Excellent. we come back to that later on. Makes sense to the rest of that. Is it delightful promises resting over us? Okay, uh, that's where I'm from. Um, now the word steward, it's interesting, I was thinking about this talk. The word stewardship, I was thinking hard, I can't think of a single occasion when I've heard that word used outside of a church context. But in church, we kind of use it a lot. Do people know where you... In fact, well, I'm probably... I'm, steward is a strange word you don't use much in the world outside of the church anyway, but it's a word we use all the time. I was trying to think of it because I'm old enough to remember air stewards. You remember air stewards? Anybody old enough as well? They're now called flight attendants, which is a bit miserable, but used to, used to have stewards and stewardesses. And, and there was like stewards on a ship. Maybe that's where stewardship comes from. I don't know. But stewards on a ship... Uh, so it's maybe something to do with travel anyway. So, uh, but quickly, when I became a Christian, I remember learning the word steward. So it's somewhere in my work. There used to be a joke amongst the people I knew. said, oh, I used to be tight with money, but now I'm a good steward. <laughs> well, that was a joke. <laughs> good. Uh, it was a delayed laugh, but I'll explain each time there is a joke, and you can laugh afterwards. <laughs> Well, the passage I want to look at for the stewardship of life, I started thinking about it, and I'll tell you why I chose this passage in a minute. It's John 2, 1 to 11. If you want to open your Bible, follow with me, but you don't need to. It's the story of the wedding in Galilee, wedding in Cana. Okay, people will know the story pretty well. Now, I love this story for several reasons. One is because I think it's absolutely full of humor. Oh, I've got to keep track on the time. My watch is going off. Just give me a wave. Give me five, three, two, one, do a TV thing and I'll just ignore you. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I love this story because I think it's packed full of humor. Um, the, the setting for this, you know, on the third day, it says, because he's been telling a story, John telling on the third day, it's not the third day of the week, because on the first day, it goes back, first day, John the Baptist sees Jesus, you remember that? And two of uh, John's disciples go off to follow Jesus. One we know uh, was Andrew, the other one we never get named. But they, so that's the first day, these two guys start following Jesus. Uh, the second day, uh, Jesus finds Philip. I love that. Oh, yeah, you'll do. Hi, Philip, follow me. Okay, off we go again. So we've got three now wandering around. Um, of course, one is Andrew, who immediately goes to get Peter. Uh, no, he doesn't get Peter, he gets Simon. Simon arrives, becomes Peter. Okay, you can imagine that this is my brother Simon. Oh, hello, Peter. <laughs> it's got everything of comedy element, this story. And so then, uh, then Philip gets called. Philip goes and finds Nathaniel. Nathaniel cracks the Nazareth joke. <laughs> Nazareth? Anything good come out of Nazareth? <laughs> you must be joking. I, I saw you sitting under a tree. <laughs> okay. So now we've got Jesus, at least four named people, probably one other who was John the Baptist, poor chap, never gets named. They arrive on the third day, they're at Cana, where Mary has been invited to a wedding, she's there. It's a typical Jewish thing, I love this, it says, John, verse one, it says, let me read it. On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana in Galilee, Jesus' mother was there, Jesus and his disciples had also been invited <laughs> to the wedding. You can imagine that. Oh, um, my son's in town, is that all right, can he come? Yeah, okay. He's got a few people with him. <laughs> I think it's what it was like. They were going to bed. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, I have no more wine. Dear woman, he said, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And nearby six stone water jars, kind of use of ceremony washing, you know all this. Each of them held 20 to 30 gallons. It says 20 to 30 gallons. I love that story because basically your gallon is a different size to the gallon in England, so we're all covered. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Jesus said to some, fill them with water, fill them to the brim. Now draw some out, take it to the master of the banquet. You know the story. They did so with the master of the banquet. Tasted the water, been turned into wine. Didn't realize where it come from. Servants did. Uh, he called the bridegroom and said, everyone brings out the choice of wine first, blah, 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 blah. Now this is the first of the miraculous signs. Jesus performed a caner in Galilee. That's revealed his glory. The disciples put their faith in him. After this, they went to Capernaum with his mother and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. Okay, back to the story. That was a whirlwind version, okay? So we know it. So here we've got the setting. Um, Mary's gone, Jesus arrived, and this other bunch. They run out of wine. Not they didn't have enough wine. They've run out. The guests have drunk everything. Probably not helped by five extra fishermen and the like people who's like, free meal, we're in. <laughs> so strange enough, they run out of wine. Now, I love the fact that they run out, and, and this is where... Mary says um, to Jesus, says, they've, got no, they've got no more wine. It never says how, they, how she said it. That it fascinates me. Was it like she went up discreetly and said, Jesus, they've run out of wine? Because it's embarrassing. Or did she do a good Jewish mother thing across the room in front of everybody? Jesus, they've run out of wine. <laughs> like, and what was she expecting him to do? Obviously, she knew he could do something. It's tantalizing. And he says, well, my time has not yet come. So he knew what's going on. And then a Jew, real Jewish mother, just do whatever he tells you. She knew he was going to do something. Isn't that fascinating? 
Later on, it says this is the first miracle that revealed his glory. But I'm always thinking, I wonder if there's miracles going on that didn't reveal his glory that his mother knew about. Anyway, leave you with that thought. Your bishop can sort that one out. <laughs> he asked for six of these big pots. This is like 150 gallons of liquid. I calculated that. That's 150 bottles of wine. Six glasses to a bottle. Don't ask me how I know that. 900 glasses of wine. He's getting ready. So it's either a big party or a big drinking crowd. Who knows? Maybe the disciples have not quite converted yet. <laughs> they think we're going to do this every day. So how do you see it? And it just says, um, and here's an interesting story. Because I think it's like, I think Mary, like my mother, my mother is a party animal. She's now nearly 90, but she loves a party. And in this story, Jesus is probably about 30. Mary might have only been about 46. She's not an old lady. She's at the wedding, ready to go. I think of my mother when she's 46, nothing held her back. Took after my grandmother, dancing away at night away. So it's an interesting scenario there for her. How did she say it to him? Now, there's an interesting part of the story is it's run out. Mary's talking to Jesus. Jesus is talking to the servants. The, so there's a long period. And then he says to the servants, they do this, go and fill up. If they've got to get 30 gallons or 50 gallons of wine or water, that takes a long time. You don't take that big pot and fill it up. You, what, you can carry about five, five gallons a time? Would you say five gallon can? So that's maybe 30 trips to wherever they got the water from. There's a lot of period involved here. The master of the banquet, banquet who knew the wine had run out and supposed to have had enough, must have been going ballistic because it's like there's, all this, there's a long time involved. And then um, the servants, uh, I love this. The servants, I think, are the real men of faith in this story. Nobody gives them enough credit. They've seen these pots filled up with water. They've been told by Jesus, take some of this water and give it to the master of the banquet. Yeah, I got a good idea. You do that. <laughs> and then get them and drink it. Oh, yes, great idea. But they do. Now, here's a fascinating thing. Did it turn to wine in the pots so they knew it was good wine, and that would give me a lot more confidence about taking it to the master of the banquet. Do you ever think about this stuff? Welcome to my brain. I think about this stuff. Did it turn to water in the pots? Did it turn to water into the little cup they were taking across? Or did it turn to water after they'd given it to the master of the banquet and he started drinking it? You ever think about that? Because there's a big faith difference. If you've seen it come out like this, you know, it's like Chateau Neuf or something or other comes out of this pot I've got more confidence in taking it across so any and also his, it wouldn't have been in a glass it would have been some sort of container so if it was changing when you went across you wouldn't have seen it it's just a liquid in a cup so you give it to the master of the banquet who in the King James Version is the chief steward I've got the word in <laughs> don't just throw this stuff together you know They gave it to the chief steward, who interestingly said, he called the bridegroom over, and he said, nobody, you know, and they never say how these words were said. He called the bridegroom over and says, hey, you saved the best to last. Is he going, hey, you saved the best to last? Or is he having just had half an hour to an hour of panic going, 
what are you playing at? You trying to keep this for yourself? Who knows? Is it a compliment or a criticism? So why did I choose this reading? Well, <laughs> very little reason actually, just because I came across it because when I was thinking about stewardship of life, how are we doing with time? Thank you. Came across this because I was thinking about stewardship of life, I was thinking about my life, and I went started thinking about um, my baptism verse. I got converted when I was 18, got baptized quite quickly, uh, full immersion, and uh, my baptism verse is in this reading. That's why I started reading it again, and that's reminding me of this story, so I wanted to share the story with you, but there will be a point from it. And uh, yes, it's interesting. Yesterday, three of us had dinner, Dr. Null and myself and another chap, Chuck Collins from Phoenix. We started just sharing our testimony stories, and it, it reminded me of my baptism thing. And, and, and uh, when I got baptized, there were a group of us. I was sort of like young, hairy, and eight, say 18. But it was all new to me. I didn't understand what it was about. And they came out, and they gave each of us a card with a specific Bible passage for us that ministry had chosen. And I could see people, they're reading them out, and they're reading it out, it was my turn. And I opened mine, I didn't even get a whole verse. I had half a verse. It said, <laughs> 1 John 2, oh sorry, John 2, 5b. <laughs> and John 2, 5b says this, do whatever he tells you. That was my verse. So here's the point. I don't know if I've been a good steward of my life, to be honest. I don't know. I don't know if I've been a good steward of my life. I've tried to be obedient. I've tried to follow that verse, do whatever he tells you. Uh, let me tell you some of my story. We've got another five minutes. Is good. Uh, I became a Christian at 18. It wasn't through a church. It was kind of a radical story, as I remember last night talking to these guys. Within a year, I was a full-time musical evangelist. Uh, this is part of a duo. I became an associate evangelist with Youth for Christ in the UK. Uh, schools, coffee bars, prisons, uh, anything. Anywhere they invite us. And lots of places they didn't invite us. Uh, when I was 21, something happened to me really significant. I went to a Youth for Christ retreat, had an intense meeting with God, an intense, scary and wonderful, no, mostly scary meeting with God, um, which I don't usually share about. Spirit of God came close. I was forced to the ground in the middle of a road. Unfortunately, it was in the country, just could not get up. Uh, sense of holiness coming across the galaxy one foot closer than it used to be. And, uh, anyway, And then in this time, walking around in this haze with God just for in this night time, and I felt God say something to me. Uh, I, don't, I don't normally share this story, but well, I think I only told my wife. <laughs> I felt that moment God say to me, Andy, uh, I have a task or a job or something I want you to do. Will you do it for me? And immediately, without a gap, I heard my mouth open. I felt my mouth open. I heard the word come out, no. That wasn't what you were expecting, was it? I've lived with that my whole life thinking, why did I say no? I spent time going back to the Lord and saying, I'm sorry I said no. Happened, and then life moved on. Strange, isn't it? I want to say it to reassure you. <laughs> Next day, uh, the guy I was in the duo with says, I want to finish the duo. I want to bring it to an end. I had two years of not knowing what to do. Uh, about a year later, I joined a band called After the Fire. We were all Christians. We wanted to be Christians playing in the music scene. 
got a major record deal, not in a hurry. There was a lot of, sort of time scale in this. Got a record deal, finished up touring with Queen, Electrolyte Orchestra, Van Halen, had a number five hit in America with the Commissar. Don't turn around, uh oh, you remember that? That's me. <laughs> Became a record producer. I produced acts like Tapao. Anybody from the 80s might remember these names Gary Newman. Uh, then I started producing Christian music. I produced first album, five products with Delirious, remember Delirious, Matt Redman, Graham Kendrick, Rita Springer, Sheila Walsh, some of you might know her as well. Uh, became a worship leader at a church in London, Holy Trinity Brompton. <laughs> Traveled around the globe with Sandy Miller and Nicky Gumbel. Played at Alpha conferences, wrote songs that are used on Alpha. And at the church, now back in, came over to the London, came over to America, worked as a consultant for worship with the Anglican Mission in America. Set up a school of worship, gone back to London, now contracted with another church, helping develop that school of worship in London. Blah, 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 blah. I'm married to a wonderful wife, Judy. I have three lovely girls, uh, three lovely granddaughters and wonderful grandson-in-laws. Uh, Why am I telling all this? It sounds like I've used my life effectively, doesn't it? It sounds like I've been a good steward of my life. Do you know what I did mostly? I just turned up. I turned up and tried to fit in with whatever God was doing. I'd love to take the credit for all of that. I would love to. To be honest, I'm a lousy prayer warrior. I'm a lousy prayer. I'm a lousy Bible reader. I struggle on with life. <laughs> you know this funny thing but here's the point we had a fantastic reading just now this morning let me find that again refresh you of it which was what was it Galatians wasn't it Galatians 2 I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live but Christ lives in me who loved me and gave himself for me but we mustn't forget the next verse we didn't read I do, I do not set aside the grace of God for if by righteousness or all my hard work <laughs> Something could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. I want to read you Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, which is a similar theme. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's a gift from God. Not by your works so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He did not prepare works in advance for me to do, for you to do, in order to earn what he has for you. I want to tell you that. You have to hear that. He prepared good works in advance for you to do, not because he needs you to do it. He didn't need me to do that stuff. God has works for me to do, for you to do. Do you know why? It's because through doing those works that he gives you, he's forming you into the likeness of his son. We already have our lives transformed, but he wants to form you into the likeness of his son. Do you hear what I'm saying? Us who live performance-based identity lives in a performance-based identity culture must not slip back into a medieval way of thinking that we are earning God's pleasure or even God's approval or worse still we're earning our salvation that is done we have our salvation okay hear that hear that you have it you have works to do I have works to do because God is forming me into the likeness of his son I'm a very different person now to the person I started 
I'm not pleased with myself. Lots of people tell me I'm better than I was. I know what's inside. Do not listen to the lies of the enemy over you, that you're not worthy, that you have to do more to make God happy. Do you hear me? Are you encouraged? That's a hard word to receive because we're bombarded by culture that says otherwise to us. It's the enemy who will steal it from us. Has it all been easy? So go back a line. It's not me. I have not been a steward of my life. <laughs> but do you know why I don't panic standing here? Jesus has been the steward of my life. Let Jesus be the steward of your life. Okay? Has it been easy? Of course not. I make it sound glamorous. There were years and months of hardship, stuff that only my suffering we went through as a family, that only we need to know. Um, but it's like Psalm 23 when David says, goodness and mercy, surely they follow me all the days of their life. One time I was moaning to the Lord about struggling, we had no money, whatever, and God says this, I read this Psalm 23 and I suddenly realized, Goodness and mercy have followed me. I looked back behind me and there were trails off into the distance of goodness and mercy. I realized I'd been praying that goodness and mercy might precede me. <laughs> but it's just how it works. Back to the reading. And then we're way over time. We're going to cancel the rest of the service. I'm just going to speak to speaking. You're very patient. Back to the story. In the story, the servants in the story, remember the servants? were given one job. Well, they were given a couple of jobs. They had to fill the jars up. Let's not count that. But they were given a job. Take this to the master of the banquet. Okay. Presumably, well, it's strange if it's seemingly simple job. But as I said, depends on what was happening. There was some faith involved. And presumably, Jesus could have done that job himself. You know, I filled it up. Give me the cup. I'm taking it over. Or he could have discreetly called the master of the banquet, psst, psst, psst. <laughs> stop panicking, over here, taste this. <laughs> it could have been a different process. Why did he give the servants a job to do? Because in the doing, somewhere in the doing, somewhere in that doing, it changed from one thing to something special. It changed from nothing to something special in the doing. That's where we are. Don't be frightened of just the doing. It's not to win God's approval. It's getting in line with God because in that, he's changing you into something he wants you to be. So let Jesus be the steward of your life. His works for you to do, not just because he needs them doing, because that's what he's using to form you into the likeness of his son. And we're going to sing the song, but let me pray before we do that. Father, may whatever words are from you settle in our hearts, what's not of you now be blown away. And Jesus, be the steward of our life. We're going to sing this song. Amen, sorry. We're going to sing the song. And I think then we'll have a time, if we've got time, we'll just wait on the Lord in the attitude of worship because the sense I have is the Spirit's been speaking to you, some, some of you more so than others of that we get sucked into this performance-based identity rubbish that our culture pumps on us. You understand? What I'm saying is not condemnatory. You have to, um, it's the wonderful thing. If, if you're feeling uh, condemned right now, that's the enemy. If you're feeling convicted, 
That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't bring condemnation. The Holy Spirit just says, is that something in your life? Let's deal with it. So we're going to sing the song, then we explain, Lisa's going to read. We sing those two ones we know. Lisa will read three and four as we hum the tune. I'll show you what happens. And then we're going into a time when we're open to the Lord and let, you, let the Holy Spirit speak to you individually. If something's been really speaking to you as we get to the communion time, come up and have someone pray with you. You know, we're in church. If you can't get prayed for in church, where can you get prayed for? So uh, if it's something deeper, you say, well, I'd just like someone to, f- to pray that over me. Um, is that right? You have a ministry team. So at the communion time, do that. So listen to the words of the song. You can say sitting. Say sitting. Remain seated. There's the problem. Uh, hear the words. Great. You remember the tune? Mm. Hear the words of Christ our Savior. Come to me, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. God so loved. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall have everlasting life. Okay, now let's hum the tune of the first part. And while we do that, I'm going to ask Lisa to come up, and she's going to read the words of, come to words three and four over us. Okay, the first part. Hear also what St. Paul says. This saying is true and worthy of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Hear also what St. John says. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Mm 